It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. It's Friday, October 27th. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. After 30 years, the city is renegotiating its airport lease with the state of Alaska, and some of the state's proposed terms are giving assembly members pause. Among them, new parking fees and a cut of airport concessions like restaurant and gift sales. All at a time when a multi-million dollar federal grant for airport expansion is in the balance. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. The state of Alaska owns Sitka's airport, but the city owns the terminal building. When the assembly met on October 24th, it heard a presentation from Troy LaRue, the state's operations manager for aviation. LaRue told the assembly that before Sitka's terminal expansion project can proceed, the Federal Aviation Administration requires some updates to the new lease agreement between the city and the state, like collecting concessions on airport sales. Additionally, the state wants to regulate parking and charge fees. LaRue said the parking situation is currently chaotic and unsustainable. Assemblymember Tor Christensen disagreed. If you start charging for parking, I would use some of that money to buy a bulletproof vest because people will be pissed. And I disagree with you that it's chaotic over there. It's, I mean, I use the airport a lot and it's not. You use the seven-day parking. If, if it's full, I arranged my wife to come get my vehicle from me. And I don't think it is that chaotic. Municipal Administrator John Leach, who'd met with LaRue in negotiations earlier in the day, said he could see both sides of the parking lot issue. It may not seem chaotic, but there are, there are little things with, um, you know, vehicles that are left there overnight. And then the worst case scenario is vehicles that get abandoned there. And then it's how are we going to deal with it? I mean... Was it Bethel? I think they had like trees growing through some cars that were that were abandoned at the, the airport parking lot. So um, it's not necessarily unique to Sitka. The parking fees and other lease details are just now coming forward when, after months of work, Sitka is in line to secure a $34 million federal grant for construction of a much-needed terminal expansion. LaRue threw the assembly another curve when he said the state would be taking a bigger share of the grant funding than initially expected due to FAA requirements, around 7% of the project funds for administration. When we first started standing up this terminal project, uh, we kind of thought we were going to drop off a sack of cash on your doorstep. You were going to receive the grant and uh, we were just going to help. That was our intention. As it turns out, as we approached the FAA and said, how do we accomplish this? They said, no, you can't do that. And I said, well, wait a minute, we have this co-sponsorship agreement. And they said, yeah, no, that's not worth the, the paper it's written on. So it was kind of a surprise to John Leach when I said, oh, by the way, we're taking 7% of your project so that we can help administer it. Um, it. It wasn't very popular. Assembly members and LaRue discussed what may also be included in the new lease agreement, like added security and staffing, and shoring up management responsibilities, like who provides snow plowing for certain areas. But with a big airport expansion project on the horizon, with the next federal funding deadline weeks away, Assemblymember Chris Yestad wasn't happy to be discussing lease terms. I'm going to fully admit I don't like the timing. Um, we're renegotiating leases with a massive grant hanging over our head, and I feel like it's unfair leverage. Um, but it is what it is, and let's just deal with the situation. It's some of these things I don't like, but there's it's the FAA. You know, what are we going to do? With the target date for federal funding at the beginning of December, the Assembly has one month to finalize a lease with the State Department of Transportation. 
With negotiations ongoing, City Administrator Leach said he hoped to bring a lease before the Assembly for approval at its next meeting. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. The North Pacific Fishery Management Council meeting in Anchorage this October was not just one meeting, but three. In addition to the council itself, there was a meeting of industry stakeholders called the Advisory Panel and a meeting of scientists called the Scientific and Statistical Committee, or SSC. This fall, the council tasked the SSC with reviewing a 120-page preliminary analysis of Bering Sea Chum Salmon Bycatch Management and providing input on the relative scientific uncertainty of management options. As KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports, the Committee of University, State, and Federal Scientists found a few things that were relatively uncertain. The North Pacific Fishery Management Council earlier this month examined some potential management measures intended to reduce the amount of chum salmon caught by trawlers fishing for pollock in the Bering Sea. Many of those chum salmon, referred to as bycatch, may have been intercepted on their way to the Yukon, Kuskokwim, and other large river systems of western Alaska, where chum salmon populations have crashed. The council believes broader forces may be at work in causing chum salmon declines. The preliminary analysis prepared by the council's scientists states that the decline in chum salmon populations appear to be driven by warmer water temperatures in both the marine and freshwater environments. Scientific and Statistical Committee member Dr. Ian Stewart with the International Pacific Halibut Commission had reservations about relying too heavily on temperature data. I think we should really caution the council against uh, making too much of the very weak temperature relationship. Fisheries literature is littered with weak relationships that don't last. Um, And in fact, in this case, it's possibly even more challenging than that, because not only is it potential for a change in the biological relationship, but the utility of this is going to be based not only on the biology, but also on the fishery behavior and response. And that's even less predictable than the biology, perhaps. The council is considering imposing caps on allowable bycatch, but hasn't determined what will trigger those caps. Dr. Jason Gasper with the National Marine Fisheries Service also had concerns about linking any proposed action to temperature. I particularly agree on being skeptical about the temperature data, and I just note that this is also a retrospective approach, and it appears the desire is to set a cap based on that assumed relationship with bycatch, but of course the environment's likely to continue to experience warming, so it's difficult to ascertain how that relationship would even hold into the future. Dr. Curry Cunningham at the University of Alaska Fairbanks favored an integrated approach that also considered the abundance of chum that actually returned to the rivers. ANS in council speak means amount reasonably necessary for subsistence. A bycatch cap or threshold should account for humans. We have two objectives, right? The sustainability of these salmon populations and the sustainability of the human communities that depend on them. So I would encourage broader consideration of how both of those, both the ANS component and the return abundance component could be wrapped up in a threshold determination, either above or below. The chum bycatch issue continues to draw the attention of fisheries advocates and to evoke much impassioned testimony from the residents of communities whose lives have been disrupted by the chum crash. Dr. Christopher Anderson with the University of Washington wanted to ensure that pursuing a cap on trawl bycatch would have the intended results. We see that these stocks are in trouble. We have the super well-intended impulse that we would really like to support them. 
to me, the first question you ask is, does reducing bycatch increase the fish in the rivers? And intuitively that makes sense, but that should be based on evidence. And we should be saying science has something to say here about how big that effect is. That conclusion was also among the recommendations presented to the council by the advisory panel, which is comprised of fishing industry interests and processors. In its report, the AP wrote, an impact analysis of Western Alaska chum stocks is important to help answer the question of whether or not any of the suggested management measures will meet the purpose and need. The council agreed to move forward with the four possible management alternatives to reduce chum bycatch, each of which must now be subject to a federal impact analysis. That should be completed sometime in mid-2024, with final action by the council expected the following December. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. The city of Ketchikan announced a new tourism manager last week. Lori Boyza, the former director of Visit Sitka, will be stepping into the newly created role. In a written statement, she says the city is at an exciting crossroads. She says she views her new role as a liaison between the community and the visitor industry. Her goal is developing a plan to sustainably manage visitors and their relationship to the community. Boise's hiring comes on the heels of a record high season for tourism. An estimated 1.5 million visitors came to Ketchikan this year. City officials say that work needs to be done on the city's policies and infrastructure to handle that volume of visitors. They say the new tourism manager will collaborate with stakeholders and government agencies to find solutions. Hunters have reached a new high for the month-long moose harvest in central southeast, 141 bulls. That's nine more than the previous record harvest set in 2021. Hunters had until last Friday to report their kills to the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. Most of this season's moose were harvested on Kupernoff Island. The second highest harvest came from Kuyu Island. Frank Robbins manages the hunt area for the state. He says that's a significant change for Kuyu compared to the last few decades. It wasn't that long ago where there was you know, virtually no harvest of moose on Kuyu Island. And then the last you know, six years, it's kind of seen a skyrocket. Over the past decade, moose hunters have set several records in the region. Robin says that's because moose are moving in. A couple decades ago, there were very few of them in the region, and the hunt was almost entirely relegated to the mainland. But over the years, he says more moose are cropping up on remote islands. The trend lately has been the distribution has expanded across the Krupanoff and to Kuyu, which largely accounts for the increase in the harvest over time. You know, that's sort of the big change. The, the harvest has shifted and sort of shifted westward. So the moose have expanded from the mainland to these island habitats over time and slowly increased in numbers. And Over the course of the month, hunters told state managers that they saw many total moose, meaning bulls, cows, and calves, across the hunt area. Robbins says that bodes well for future hunts. The Central Southeast Hunt was open September 15th through October 15th. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.